0: Podcast. My name is Holly Lever, and I'm the owner and operator of Rosebud Wellness, where I practice women's holistic health, utilizing acupuncture, Chinese herbalism, yoni steaming, and Arvigo abdominal massage, and I'm also a new mama. This podcast will be part information on women's holistic health practices that I use in my practice, and part conversations with women who are mothers or hope to be mothers on their journey through menstruation, fertility, pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and motherhood. Please enjoy. Thanks so much for listening. I am very excited to announce that I have a couple of new products available at the Rosebud Wellness shop. So one is a full moon rose abdominal massage oil, and the other one is a new moon lavender abdominal massage oil. So each of them are made with jojoba oil and the flowers that they have inside of them. And then the full moon one is set out under the light of the full moon, and the new moon is set out under the darkness of the new moon so that they absorb that energy at those different times. And I also wanted to mention that you can use my coupon code, which is WOMB, W-O-M-B at checkout to receive 10% off your first order. So also don't forget that I have my Yoni Steam Herb Blends available there, these two new massage oils, and then you can also use that coupon code for a Yoni Steam or any kind of consult with me. So uh, that's rosebudwellness.com slash shop and use the code WOMB, W-O-M-B, at checkout. I am very excited to announce that I will be offering a a free virtual Yoni Steam course Sunday May 1st at 10 a.m. Pacific which is 1 pm. Eastern time. And so if you're interested in taking this course, you can email me at Holly at rosebudwellness.com or the link is also available on my instagram which is Rosebud underscore wellness. It's totally free. it will be about an hour long. I will leave a little bit of time for questions as well, which maybe will make us run a little bit over the hour. But I'll be sharing all about what yoni steaming is, some herbs to use, how to set one up at home, and some of the most common conditions that I use it for. So I hope to see you there Sunday, May 1st, 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. Welcome back, everybody, to the Womb Wisdom Podcast. I am here today with Dr. Mel Thompson. And she is the owner of Louisiana Pelvic Health, where she is a pelvic floor physical therapist that specializes in working with women. And we'll be talking more specifically about how she works with women in a variety of stages of life at the end of the episode. But first, I will just welcome Dr. Mel to the podcast. Thanks so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. So let's start off with your story of your first period, how old you were and what that looked like for you, what the conversation was around you, amongst your friends, your family, what you were taught at school, anything around your first period in those early years.
1: Gosh, I don't even know if I remember all this all those feelings but, I think I was 13. Cause it was the same year that I got braces in my glasses. So like that sticks out to me. <laughs> um, but I just remember it started and I was just like, I don't know, is this it? And I think I talked to my mom and then I got a pad. And then I just remember feeling like everybody knows. And I'm walking around with a, Uh, wearing a big diaper is how I felt but um, I don't recall like who I spoke to or um, having much of a conversation around it honestly except for my mom mentioning that her periods were quite painful and she when she was a young girl my age at the time would get quite sick, like she would be nauseated and throw up and she would bleed really heavy. Um, I don't particularly remember that being my experience, um, as far as when I like first started it.
0: Yeah. So, and then, um, what about at school? Did it seem like, did you ever talk to your friends about it or was it pretty like everybody was kind of pretty to themselves about their experience?
1: I honestly don't remember, which must mean that I've either blocked that how, or it was super easy or it didn't come up. I just, I don't even know anymore.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, and then what about birth control? Where, when did you start, um, any form of birth control? Was it for any symptoms you were having or was it because you were in a relationship of some kind?
1: Yeah. So I started birth control, um, I was in a relationship. And so of course, that was all that I knew at the time is that I should, um, try this just for the sake of the relationship. And I had multiple doctors, um, suggest to me, of course, because I had acne and, um, I did complain of period pain and PMS. And so pretty much at every annual gynecology visit and dermatology, they said, I really, really needed to be on the pill. And I, for me, I was like, that's not a reason. Um, Then when I was in this relationship in my adult years, um, several years ago, I decided to try it and I did the pill and I think I tried it for about a month. And then I thought that it was making me worse, like just having other side effects that I didn't even ever have before. And talk to the doctor and they're like, that's normal. Just, you know, try it for three months and I just quit. And then um, some time passed by and I, they told me, my gynecologist said, why don't we try you on the patch? Um, Cause it's different formulation. The patch was absolutely bananas. I had hot flashes, nausea, literally waking up in the morning, feeling just like a wave of heat come over me and like I have to throw up. And the only thing that would make me feel better was if I would eat. And about after about a week, I ripped that thing off and I was like, we're just
0: not doing that. Wow. So what were your symptoms when you were on the birth control pill?
1: Um, I don't know if I remember exactly. If part of it was just like me overanalyzing because I never really agreed with the pill anyways. Um, But I felt like my libido was going down and I just didn't feel I don't know I felt like I had an outside influence into my body and then I started questioning why am I putting synthetic things in my body and I think that's like the first time in my life I started asking I started asking myself like why are, why do you do the things that you do? Like there should be a solid reason and rationale versus because somebody said you
0: should. Yeah. That's awesome that you had that awareness at such a young age. Did you kind of grow up in that sort of environment of sort of questioning things, um, that doctors were saying, or was it just kind of something you naturally had yourself?
1: So the birth control wasn't until I was in something like my mid twenties. So I was a bit older. Um, as far as like growing up around questioning doctors, I don't think, I don't think that I ever had like that mentality. Like if I was written a prescription, I would be like, okay, this is what they said to do don't even look up the ingredients, don't even look up what it is, just pop it in. That's the end of the the story. Um, But as I kind of grew up and grew into science and started developing my own thoughts and beliefs and my own research around pharmaceuticals, around disease, pathology, wellness, prevention, you know, that's kind of all had an influence and especially after physical therapy school, because that is a conservative measure um, versus like pharmacology and pharmaceuticals would be more like on the invasive end. And so naturally my, my degree, my training, all my research lies more on that conservative, pathway and that's just where like my whole
0: life aligns yeah that makes a lot of sense I was thinking that you were probably younger when you first started birth control which because that's a lot of people's story but um that's awesome that you dodged it until you were in your 20s and then only spent sounds like just a couple of months on birth control with the pill and the patch just pretty short periods of time so, um, tell us about your periods, I guess, because you didn't have, they weren't me- messed up with being on birth control. So, you were just having natural periods. Did you get them pretty regularly? And it sounds like you did have some pain. I don't know if you're downplaying the amount of pain that you had. Um, and then you mentioned some PMS, so you can talk about some of those symptoms. Um, yeah, and anything else that you experienced when you had your period.
1: Yeah, I would say my periods have always been painful and I did think that was normal for a very long time. Um, Or at least I thought the pain that I feel isn't that bad. So therefore it is normal. That's the story that I've always known. Um, So I will get my period and the first day or the first day and a half it's like full-blown cramps um just like and I'm not talking about like you know how you eat something and you feel queasy and all of a sudden you feel like a squeeze in your stomach and then it goes away that's not the type of cramp that I call cramps mine is more like it almost feels like indigestion and like you're bloated and like it just, it's just, is like a low constant level of just irritation in the low, low abdomen right above the pubic bone. Um, that's what I would feel. And during the day, I can most of the time block it out. But then at night when I'm trying to sleep, mm-hmm. it's like a loud alarm, like this hurts. And so at some point to sleep, I would typically take ibuprofen and as, far as i can remember i've been doing that my whole life so i think that i've i guess i've had primary dysmenorrhea since my periods began um and typically i bleed for four days and then it just like the faucet starts to like really trickle off until day 6 and after that first day or day and a half other than having to like change everything i would never know on my period like i don't have any symptoms after that um and then i've always had very regular cycles before i started doing charting every 28 days like since the beginning except for those times where i added in fake hormones um of course <laughs> that would, um, that, that caused me like withdrawal bleeds and, you know, it completely changed the the calendar date of my cycle, but beyond those, it's always been 28 days here in the last couple of years. Um, I started seeing a few differences where I would go 26 days and then the next cycle 31 or 32. And then I was kind of like alternating back and forth between, um, these days. And even though that's in the realm of normal, that wasn't what the pattern that I had been experiencing. So that did kind of raise an eyebrow to me. Um, and I kind of started getting more into charting at that point. Um, so yeah, did I cover it all? (laughs) Totally.
0: Yeah. Well, what about PMS? What are some of those symptoms? Yeah. do you have a lot of mood stuff as well?
1: Yeah. So as far as I can remember, so this must've been going on since I was 13. Um, right before my period, I would always feel irritable and moody and teary. And as much as it aggravated me for boyfriends or my husband to say like, oh, you must be about to start your period. There was like absolute truth to that because that is exactly what was going on. Like I would pick fights at that point or I would want to have really intense conversations like on those days and the rest of the days, like I'm not like that, you know? So um, there's definitely some like actual PMS to that that's going on. Um, which I believe I have pretty, I think that I've resolved a lot of that to my, I don't know, hard to feel on your, on yourself, but my husband has noticed that like, I'm not as teary-eyed close to my period. And like, we're not, I'm not like trying to like get to the bottom of these like intense conversations, like right before. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So, well, and I'm, I'm kind of wanting to ask two questions, but I'm, I'm wondering which one kind of comes first. So I'm interested to know about the changes that you have implemented that have created these sort of improvements in your cycle, but I also would like to talk about your charting experience. So when we're, when we're saying charting, I'm talking about fertility awareness charting. Um, So Melissa and I know each other because we're both in uh, the Fertility Friday mentorship class where we're learning about how to incorporate this with our client work. Um, but as part of the class, we're also charting our own cycles. So it so was it from charting that then you made some changes? So maybe we'll talk about charting first.
1: Yeah, so um, I've been charting in some capacity for several years. And whenever I was working at Toro, um, I started taking my basal body temperature. Um, so I guess I just like threw out random things about this place called Toro. Um, that was a hospital that I was working at before I moved to home and opened up my clinic here. So I was a staff PT, was working with both orthopedics and women's health. And um, I knew at some point in the future, I was considering getting pregnant, you know, I was engaged at the time, about to get married. And so that was like five or so years ago. Um, instead of just putting in the first day of my period, I started with the temperatures and then I was like, this is cool data. Yeah. Um, and then as I read Lara Bryden's book, the period repair manual, which I often recommend to a lot of my patients, I read her book like front to back in like two days Um, and she has like one small chapter on mucus and cervical position and temperatures and so I started paying attention to mucus um, and I started just noticing the egg white and so that's what I was charting. I was putting egg white on the chart and then I was putting temperatures and I was like this is so cool. How could you not do this? And I I know that not everybody agrees, of course, but, um, and then in the past, um, since I started working with Lisa is when I started like the standardized justice notations. Um, and so now, of course, my chart looks completely different <laughs> than it was with just those, egg white days and just the temperatures. But I really like the chart because I feel like if you are not in alignment with hormonal um, contraceptives and you want to see what your body is telling you, the chart is um just I find it invaluable to just see things and it gives me a sense of being active in my health versus something just passively happening to me and um that's kind of like how i feel about how health should be in general it's how i feel about exercise and physical therapy like we don't want you to just come to the clinic and get something done to you we want you to you know do something and make that your treatment on top of that Um, and so that's a tangent about that but Yeah. Did I answer
0: all the chatting? I appreciate that because I I very much align with that too, as an acupuncturist, I think that sometimes people come thinking like you're going to fix me, but really there, it is a holistic medicine, like physical therapy as well, that there is um, certainly we're using our knowledge base to help and guide you. And then the treatments are an additional layer to that, but then this charting piece is really useful for you to take, I don't not really control, but take initiative to identify like what's going on underneath the surface of like, you could just stop at like, I have cramps, so I'm gonna take um, painkillers or I'm gonna go on birth control, or you could have just been like, I have PMS, I'm just gonna take birth control or I'm just gonna deal with it and my husband's just gonna deal with it. But by getting into, under these, into the root causes, then you're able to make shifts from there that help to alleviate those symptoms. So I would be curious to hear what you found. I mean, that yeah, the JUSTICE method is very um, detail-oriented. There's a lot of different ways to identify what cervical mucus means what in the cycle. There's a lot of different rules to learn. So it is um, sort of a lot to take in in the beginning Um, But once you have that base of knowledge, there's so much that you can get from it and becomes sort of like second nature. So I would be curious to hear what you have identified um, as sort of things to work on from your chart and then what you have done in terms of lifestyle, diet, things like that, supplements um, to improve those things.
1: Yeah, so I... After I um, had my first few charts with the mucus and the temps, I showed Lisa and I thought, I don't know, low progesterone is calling out to me because it just seems like we're in an epidemic right now of low progesterone anyways. And Lisa did help me identify that it's like situational. Like every other month I was having a really strong luteal phase. And then some months it was like really dipping down and my temps were low. Um, and I um, did confirm that on with blood work, which is kind of interesting because you're like, I don't know, is this, how can she know that just from counting the days of the luteal phase and looking at the temps and, um, but sure enough, I've had actually several blood draws throughout the cycle throughout multiple cycles and there is a a steady trend of of a drop off of progesterone um um, kind of mid luteal phase so we should still be having quite high progesterone by that point um and so i'm definitely having i'm definitely having (laughs) um y'all can't see but my zoom just gave polly a thumbs up Um, (laughs) i'm definitely i love it i appreciate it i'm definitely know for sure um after seeing it in several cycles i think is what like made me like feel like okay i trust this that i am experiencing low progesterone not only from my subjective complaints of my symptoms but also um Seeing it on the chart is just really cool because it really did in my mind say, um, okay, the chart does work. Um, And I was also seeing, after I started using the Justice notations correctly and actually checking every single day, even after ovulation, um, I was actually having several days of non-peak and peak mucus in the luteal phase And I was having, um, when I have my peak day, I don't go immediately to dry. I will kind of like hover around a couple of non-peak days or sometimes my peak day would be after the temp rise. Um, So that's not ideal. And that's a sign of low progesterone. And then also the quality of my cervical mucus, Um, being able to grade it this way really showed me. That saying it's either there or it's not there is not good enough. Um, seeing what's really going on and like um, exactly the quality of it showed me that even though it's present, it could be better mm. if that, sense, which is a reflection of estrogen. And so I thought, oh, maybe I'm estrogen dominant, but actually, my estrogen is low as well on the blood work. So um it's really interesting and you don't really know that about yourself unless you're you know looking at all of this stuff. And um I have worked on some of the like main lifestyle things and I um I have increased my protein, started taking magnesium, started taking um, zinc, fish oil, and uh, the beef liver capsules. And I was starting to see improvements in my cervical mucus. Like it was so slippery. And I thought that I had felt slippery before, but I was like, no, this is way slipperier mm-hmm. <laughs> or more slippery. Um, and so that's a reflection that it's more watery and then it's like higher in estrogen content um, my luteal phase length is improving and my peak is starting to line up with my temperature shift.
0: That's awesome. So what was your luteal phase length before starting those changes?
1: So, um, it would vary. There were several months where it was 14 days, but in the last six months, a year it was around 10 to 12 okay it was kind of like bouncing around um but now it's like steadily going up like how many days
0: Mm, that's great that's awesome so yeah it really works and you're getting all the data from both the blood work and from what your chart is showing you
1: yeah i'm not doing the blood work anymore that was just like a couple of cycles um and I did go to a, a doctor, a naphro doctor to kind of confirm what I was seeing on the chart. Cause you know, some, some people just want to see it, the real, the blood and like, see the data, does it match up? And it did match up. And I was like, this is insane. Like how crazy is that? But I think the chart is really cool because You don't have to go to the lab. You don't have to get your blood drawn. You can do it yourself. You know, you don't have to rely. It's free. (laughs) Yeah, it's free. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it definitely takes some time to learn, like I said, but there's so much. I mean, it's a lifelong tool that you'll always have, you know, to be able to track your underlying health and make changes from there based on what you see. So it's really cool stuff. So I would love for you to share about how you got interested in the work that you do specifically working with women. Um, it sounds like you really would work with any sort of pelvic issue. Um, so maybe, you, yeah, you can share about how your specific experience led into the work that you do now with pelvic floor PT.
1: Yeah, so um, I have quite the interesting journey. So. I was not interested in being a physical therapist when I was 18 years old, as I think a lot of us when we're 18, we're like, I know exactly how my life's going to turn out. And really, we don't, you know. (laughs) Um, But I went to LSU in Baton Rouge, and I was in um, LSU's band, so the Tiger Band. And I would say like, that was like my main focus for four years. It's all about having fun, band, music. And then it was like, oh, by the way, I have to go to these classes and things. And so I, um, I majored in biochemistry with a minor in Latin, super random, but I thought I was going to go the medical school route. Mm -hmm. And then I kind of, that like intuition that I always have, I was like, why do I want to go to medical school? I don't really know. And so I couldn't answer the question. And so I thought, well, then I shouldn't, spend all this money trying to apply and I don't want to take the spot from somebody else who actually does want to go to medical school um, if I would be so lucky to get in of course so I ended up going to um, a research program and I thought well I'll just get my PhD I'm in a PhD program and I thought research was going to be more like the research that I did as an undergrad. Like you're just looking up stuff all the time, doing projects, this and that. Well, it is like that, but it's way more intense. (laughs) Way more intense. Um, I was in the lab. I had to develop my own projects, come up with my own thesis, um, design things. This was like seven days a week um, and take classes and I just was like, I don't wanna do this either. And so I ended up getting, transitioning into more of a like, I need to exercise more. I need to start taking care of myself. And I started um, having a lot of pelvic pain whenever I was, um, like I used to run a lot. Like I would just go for a four mile run like five times a week. And I used to get a lot of hip pain, SI joint pain. Um, and I started seeing physical therapists and they always made me feel better. And I really liked the perspective of it. And so I decided what about physical therapy? And so I went to PT school and pretty much wanted to do orthopedics, which is the, um, kind of baseline specialty for any joint related problem, muscles, joints, ligaments, and nerves. Um, like outpatient physical therapy where you make an appointment and you go and your neck hurts and you get, you know, all the things like that's outpatient orthopedics. Um, so I worked in orthopedics for quite a while and I ended up getting my manual therapy certification, which is a postgraduate, um, specialty for using your hands to diagnose, um, like which tissue is actually involved in the issue. Like if someone says my shoulder hurts, well let's identify if it's your shoulder, if it's your neck, if it's a nerve root, if it's the rotator cuff, if it's your scapula. So that's manual therapy is a lot of technique to um, diagnose based on the evidence, what the issue is and then to use our hands to do joint work, um, muscle techniques, all kinds of stuff like that. So I really enjoy manual therapy, and um, still have pelvic pain. <laughs> so even though I've been, I'm like a physical therapist now, and I can, you know, I can prescribe my own exercises, and I can, you know, should know all these things. Um, it wasn't until actually one of my uh, gynecologists said, "Well, Melissa, the PT." why don't you try pelvic floor PT, like as a, like for my own personal situation. And I was like, what in the world are you talking to me about the pelvic floor for? Like, I know everything there is, you know, I'm so smart. You know, we always have that mentality when we're new grads and (laughs) and everything. Um, But I ended up going to see somebody and it basically changed my life. And now I know that my hip issues and my SI and all the issues with exercise actually started from an orthopedic injury that I had, that I just related to like some other thing. It was just, you know, that's like a standalone problem. Um, But actually it's created a huge imbalance in my hips. I've lost a little bit of mobility in my right hip and um, I'm getting like really into the weeds about mechanics, but. I do a lot of overactivity in my hip rotators. And so it creates a pull and a tension in one side of my pelvic floor. And so everything is imbalanced basically. And we don't, our bodies don't like imbalance. We like everything to be balanced, (laughs) hormones, muscles, joints, everything. Um, And so I ended up getting... Specialized in the pelvic floor through Herman and Wallace uh, Pelvic Rehab Institute, and I've incorporated it into my practice. And so, I transitioned from a complete orthopedic practice to a complete pelvic health practice. And so now I do all one-on-one, minimum sixty-minute visits. Um, and I we uh, it's kind of like we start with the pelvic floor and then we zoom out. So um, just like I mentioned a second ago, like my pelvic floor is what the pain is coming from, but it's not driving the pain. My hip is driving the pain. And so in pelvic floor physical therapy, we kind of put all that stuff together to figure out what exactly is driving this imbalance. And then we're still treating it orthopedically, but we're also um, adding in the specialized Internal pelvic floor exams and assessments.
0: So, you do some internal work and then you also Mm -hmm. do external work in any given person, depending on the situation, I imagine, right?
1: Yeah, I would say um, what makes a pelvic floor physical therapist a specialist is the training and ability to do an internal exam. And so the majority of my patients are coming to me for internal assessment. Yeah. And then um, usually I spend like 10 to 15 minutes doing the internal parts, and then I'm trying to quickly move on. Let's get you moving, exercising, um, look at other tissues outside of the pelvic floor that are going to influence, look at your breathing. And so, really, I'm pulling from a lot of orthopedic
0: and exercise concepts and also pelvic floor? Yeah. So I've had pelvic floor PT before because I have historically had a lot of pain with pretty much anything being inserted from a tampon, a speculum or having sex. And I have found it useful at times, but I always felt like it was a little bit Yeah, I'm just, I'm so curious to hear like what, because you're in this class to learn about charting, I think because you're getting to the same thing that I'm getting to, that it is sort of like a tip of the iceberg thing that people have pain, um, where you are having to get to the root cause of the pain. So some of the people I've been to, it's kind of just been more like trigger point, um, you know, sort of thing, like releasing it from that perspective. But I have always had hormonal imbalances, primarily having low, low hormones, um, which we won't get into specifically. I've talked about it on other episodes in the past, so we don't have to get into that. But I'm, yeah, I guess I'm curious to hear who the types of people that you work with. Are you referring them to other people to get hormone levels taken and things like that? Or is that something that you do or is it mostly like working on trigger points and things like that? Maybe you can talk us through like how you work with different types of people.
1: Yeah, so in the um, scope of our practice, I can diagnose any joint and muscle dysfunction. So that's the like proper way to speak of it, um, license wise, you know, but um, it's really hard to address pain without addressing root causes of pain. So you can have a trigger point that is definitely a muscle. It is a somatic tissue that is holding tension. And when you touch it, it does not wanna be stretched. That is a real and true source of pain, but what are all the drivers of that pain? So maybe touching it and stretching it is one driver. What about cortisol? levels? What about um, alcohol, caffeine, not sleeping, stressing all day? And so a lot of my work does mingle and interplay with almost being a coach. Like let's draw a pie chart and let's figure out what percent of this is actual joint and muscle and what percent of this is your diet is your cortisol levels, is all those things. And we can't truly resolve this pain until we tackle
0: this pie chart. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's exactly what I was getting at. So that's that's so awesome that you practice that way. Cause that's definitely not everybody that's practicing that way. Um, so yeah, if you'd like to share about maybe some specific things that you work on um, maybe we can start with like period pain, for example. Um, Yeah, we can talk about sort of the different phases of a woman's life. So you could talk about period pain or like endometriosis or something like that. And then uh, maybe how you would work with somebody during pregnancy. You talked a little bit um, in the pre-chat about like preparing for labor um, and then in the postpartum phase as well. So if you want to just give some like little examples about things that public PT could help in those specific situations?
1: Yeah, Yes. so I work with a large number of ladies who are in just completely different phases. So one question I get all the time is, I'm leaking pee, but I'm not pregnant. So I guess I'll have to wait until I'm pregnant to see you. Absolutely not true. If you are leaking anything at any point in time, go as soon as you have that first symptom, um, because you don't have to be pregnant to have changes in your bladder, to be holding muscle tension, to, um, have constipation or, you know, SI pain and and things like that. And so for a non-pregnant woman, um, I see a lot of people in their young twenties, um, even as up to to 40 and really they would come to me because they're exercising and they're leaking during their exercise, um, leaking urine. Um, They have always had pain with sex and um, you know, their doctor is really encouraging them to start addressing it because they're gonna get married soon. And then they're asking themselves the question like, how is this gonna go for pregnancy? Uh, A lot of people who have bladder pressure and bladder pain and frequency of urination and they start with the urologist and they get, um, usually get a scope done, a cystoscope through the urethra to visualize the bladder and the bladder's normal. It's kind of like, okay, what do I do now? Um, Well, they end up coming to me. And we identify that the driver of the bladder is actually dysfunctional pelvic floor tension. Um, so work with a lot of people with those symptoms and then also with endometriosis-like symptoms. Um, one thing I'll say about endometriosis, which I, um, you probably talked about on, on some of your other um, episodes, but... You know, women are often flying under the radar left and right with endometriosis, and it takes an average of 10 years to get diagnosed. And so when they are in my office, I'm like, huh, this looks a lot like endo, um, but I can't perform laparoscope. laparoscope. Uh, and a laparoscopic surgery is the gold standard diagnostic criteria in order to, you um, in order to actually receive this diagnosis. And that's a big deal. You're not just gonna sign up for a surgery just to explore what's in there. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'll get a lot of ladies that have always had pain with sex as long as they can remember. And they have severe period pain, really heavy periods, and they have back pain on their period. Those are all really hallmark signs of endo. And um, because of the lesions, they actually push on vaginal tissue depending on where they're deposited. And so there's a guarding response that happens directly in the pelvic floor. And so those people tend to be my people that I'm not prescribing Kegels. We're staying away from over-contracting the pelvic floor. We're doing lots of breath work, restorative yoga postures, um, lots of release work, dilator therapy. Um, and then if they happen to get the surgical procedure, they're in a good spot because they're going to rehab post-op faster. Um, so that's more of the, um, like not related to pregnancy at all. And I would say though, that after talking with many of those women, they once they um, tell me more about their story a lot of them do say I'm worried about getting pregnant because of this issue and so you know technically we are kind of working I call it like (laughs) pre-preconception because they're not like actively trying to get pregnant but you know it's just something that's on their mind and they're Thinking, I really need to take care of this. And they don't want to just take care of it with birth control, hormonal contraceptives. And then the questions pop in their mind of, well, I can't take hormonal contraceptives and get pregnant anyways. So, you know, so I'm kind of like the something else, the pelvic floor um, PT, which, by the way, if anyone has endo or um, IC, you should definitely have a pelvic PT on your team. It makes all the difference. Um, if you need help finding somebody in your area, we can post a link below. Um, so yeah, so that's those, um, types of people. And then, um, I love working with pregnant moms and especially I have a lot of pregnant moms that will actually stay with me for the whole pregnancy, which is just like, by the time the baby's born, I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is my baby. (laughs) Even though obviously it is definitely not my baby. And I did not do the work to have that baby, but, um, you know what I mean? I'm like really developing relationships with these moms and really getting to see the belly grow and their body change. But, um, in pregnancy, I, I do two different things. So we do birth prep, which is protecting your pelvic floor, kind of getting it ready for the big birth. Um, And then I do a lot of kind of um, educating them on the questions they should be asking. Um, Again, not letting um, birth be something that happens to you, but something that you can make decisions for. And so I don't make anybody's decisions for them but I show them the options. So I, I talk with them about different movement strategies during labor, different labor positions. And my job is to, my job is to help fit what you want into your birth plan. So if you want an epidural, I'm gonna make that epidural happen and still give you the um, position options that you can do with an epidural if you want to go unmedicated, I'm going to show you those options. And so I think um, it can be really empowering for a mom to um, have those things that she wants and still learn how to protect her pelvic floor, how to be aware of what's normal. There's so much in the postpartum and in the pregnancy care in the United States where women are just told, don't worry about it. You're going to be fine of course you're leaking you're pregnant Um, it'll go away on its own or you've had a baby what do you expect and I personally believe those are invalidating comments and if a pregnant mom or someone's postpartum and they're asking for help we should do everything we can to get them help for their emotional healing for their physical healing. And then ultimately, if they want to have a second baby, you know, you've got to kind of rehab yourself back up to having that second baby. Um, So that's birth prep. Um, And then um, during pregnancy, when someone has a concern, we treat it just like regular pelvic PT with improving leakage symptoms and pelvic pain and Back pain, and then in postpartum, we just transition into um, rehabbing your core and checking for the diastasis and the ab separation, and just making sure that you're returning to exercise safely and that you're doing—you're not trying to go for a run at like three weeks postpartum. But we're really making sure your body is ready to tackle that, and that you can regain control of your pelvic floor. Um, so yeah, that's pregnancy and postpartum in a nutshell Yeah, <laughs> a long, I nutshell. know there's like,
0: there's so much more to it. I'm sure. And, you know, it just popped into my head that, um, I know that sometimes people that do pelvic floor PT won't work on a pregnant woman because, you know, people are kind of like a little afraid of the liability of working on a pregnant woman. Is it like a specialty? of like specifically working with pregnancy. I would say in general, like if you go to an orthopedic
1: clinic and you're pregnant, they can treat you for back pain and but for, I mean pelvic
0: um, pelvic floor specifically. Like if somebody was um yeah, like it's, say somebody has an had has endometriosis, has painful sex, and is worried about the birth process. And like, I mean, if it hurts me to have a penis inside of me, like, what is it going to feel to like be pushing out ahead, which was something that well, I was concerned about personally. Um, yeah. I mean, if they were specifically going to work on their pelvic floor, I just know right. I have talked to other providers that don't want to work on pregnant women, but maybe it just depends on the provider, their comfort level. Is that more? I think,
1: yeah. I think it depends on the training. So I've had a lot more training in the pregnancy um, than the standard pelvic PT um, training. So I'm quite comfortable in making sure, um, I always make sure that the mom is cleared by their provider. And so there is that you know communication there. And we never do any type of internal work in the first trimester. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say each pregnant mom is a special case. We want to make sure any intervention that we're doing is absolutely necessary. And um, whenever we're just touching muscles, it's totally fine. It's, again, if they're cleared by their provider and you know, if you have a placenta previa, Um, or you're bleeding, you know, those are some red flags that we're like, Hey, maybe we're not going to do this. And we're going to go back and talk with the doctor. Um, but I'm quite comfortable working with pregnant women just with my training. And I find that it's absolutely invaluable that most of my moms that come, uh, during the pregnancy, don't quite need as much rehab postpartum.
0: That's great. Yeah, it's it's a preventative tool for sure. Yeah. yeah, awesome. So if at this point, if there's anything else you'd like to share about your business or the way you work, um, or you can just tell us where we can find you, like your website, your Instagram, any other social media platforms where you're most active.
1: Yeah, so um, actually I just released a, course on birth prep. Um, it's all online. So anyone anywhere can, um, try it out. And, um, the link is Louisiana pelvic com slash enroll, but that is a full on start to finish pelvic core birth prep. Um, it's going to go into a lot of my pregnancy strategy in the early pregnancy And then also I have a midwife who joins me for a few modules um, to talk all about labor. And then together we talk about movement strategies, labor positions, partner support. And so this is like two courses in one. Um, And it's different than childbirth education because this is very specific to the pelvic floor, which is really not in most childbirth education. But that's available. And then for my one-on-one care, um, that's for anyone who's in Louisiana, who's able to come to home Louisiana. Um, so I do hour long assessments and treatments in the clinic. And then I also do virtual, um, for those who are in Louisiana as well over telehealth. And you can find me on Instagram at Dr. Mel Thompson. So D-R-M-E-L Thompson and Louisiana dot
0: Cool, awesome. Yeah, and I'll link all of that in the show notes. And then as you mentioned, um, you know, if somebody's looking for a public Flora PT in their area, that you have a link that you could suggest. So if you wanna just share that with me, then I can put that in the show notes too.
1: Yeah, um, there's a couple of different databases that most people in the country have entered their names into. So we'll, uh, yeah, we'll definitely link that below because I
0: don't expect y'all to remember what they are if I just okay. verbally say Yeah, sounds good. So yeah, check out the show notes. Um, cool. Well, thank you so much for being here today. Yeah, thank you for having me. This episode is brought to you in part by the Rosebud Wellness Shop you can find us over at rosebudwellness.com/shop. On the shop you'll find six different yoni steam herb blends that are used for a variety of different conditions. There's a blend to help with painful periods, one for cysts, fibroids, endometriosis, one for infections like yeast infections or bacterial vaginosis. There's a moisturizing blend that can be especially useful in the postmenopausal phase. There's a postpartum specific blend for the time period after giving birth, and there is a strengthening blend that can be helpful for women that have spotting issues, either mid-cycle, before or after their period, um, or for women that have really heavy bleeding. Even with all of the information that I have on the shop, it could also be useful for you to consider setting up a consult with me for a little bit more guidance, and that is also available on the shop. So again, that is rosebudwellness.com slash shop. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. And also don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you'll be notified of future episodes as they're released. You can also find us over on Facebook at the Womb Wisdom Community. And also, you can find out more information about the offerings that I have at my business, Rosebud Wellness, on my website, rosebudwellness.com. I offer acupuncture and Arvigo abdominal massage sessions in person in Thousand Oaks, California, which is in the Los Angeles area. And I also offer virtual yoni steam consults, if that's something that's interesting to you. And also you can find uh, the Yoni Steam Herb Blends that I offer on the Rosebud Wellness shop at rosebudwellness.com shop. So thanks again for listening till next time.